Baffling Combustions is a production of the Institute for Publishing Arts and Station Hill Press. If you want to reach us, email bc at stationhill.org. Baffling Combustions is edited by the Catskill Poetic Action Network. We're live on WCAA and on the Pacifica Radio Network. We're available on most podcast venues. And that's all I got. Enjoy our show. Welcome to another edition of Baffling Combustions with Andrew McCarran, Sam Truitt, and Sparrow as they plumb the mundane and cosmic strange. So welcome. Here we are once again for another session of Baffling Combustions. My name is Sam Truitt. I am Sparrow. My name is Andrew McCarran. And today we're going to talk about St. Francis of Assisi's poem, writing speech, actually. I believe it was transcribed, but to kind of get us on the fairway with the sun slanting through the trees and, you know, many people gone on ahead. We can't see them in the clearing. The fairway is clear and to tee up Am I? Maybe we should. I mean, it seems disrespectful. I mean, we're talking about Saint Francis, you know. He had a sense of humor. It's fine. Oh yeah. That, uh, golf and Christianity share the uh, uh, the same day of the week, Sunday. I read a book of golf jokes, and a lot of them were about that question: What are you doing at the golf course? You should be at church. So uh, I think our metaphor of Sam's is perfectly appropriate. Hallelujah. I'd rather be on the golf course thinking about God than in church thinking about golfing. Uh, Is that a a famous line? I just made it up. Wow. Holy cow. You know, hold the presses. That should be inserted (laughs) right into the golf joke book. So at any rate, and you know, there's a lot of natural imagery and for no small demographic of our population, though not necessarily our listenership, you know, the experience of nature is circumscribed by the clubhouse, you know, by what's outside the clubhouse and, you know, the 18 fairways. All right, let's set that aside and just say that, Andrew, you have something that you can read to help us get clear the threshold. Mm. So um, I will read this a short reflection. It's low-hanging fruit, but maybe that's perfectly acceptable for St. Francis that he preached to trees. Yeah. I always had pets growing up. Uh, Animals can continue to be uh, a part of my life. So as a child, I liked our art featuring St. Francis because of the animals that were depicted by his side, birds and deer in particular, and of course, the infamous Wolf of Gubbio. When I got older, I began appreciating Francis for other reasons as well, especially his sense of belonging, something that occurs to me about living 
in a power and money-driven society like ours is that belonging outside one's family unit often requires a financial exchange. People belong to private clubs, to private communities, to private institutions, firms, schools, and companies. And many of these organizations are built behind walls of exclusion. A members-only ethos prevails. The truth of the matter is that in America, we tend to spend time with people who spend like us. Belonging to exclusive organizations may lead to meaningful social connections and be part of the good life, but it can be limiting. It can be limiting if we lose sight of the fact that the first world to which we belong is already here, or if we begin seeing those who fall outside the spheres of our belonging as expendable or as mattering less or not seeing others at all. St. Francis was born into a prosperous family of cloth merchants in the Umbrian town of Assisi in the late 12th century. He lived the high-spirited life of a wealthy young man who belonged to a world of opportunity, glamour, and material comfort. But according to his disciple and biographer, Thomas Celano, who wrote two biographies of Francis, the first and second life of Francis, the saint gave up his wealth in his early 20s and began following a different path, a path that led him in, into the woods, where he communed with animals and trees and even grass and wind. He referred to the sun as his brother and the moon as his sister, brother sun and sister moon. What realization set Francis on this new path? Well, after recovering from an illness, he felt he was living the wrong life. He realized over time that he belonged to a much larger family, a cosmic family that consisted of relatives, friends, strangers, wealthy people and poor, animals, vegetation, and the elements themselves. In the words of Thomas Tellano, his biographer, and I quote, who could tell the sweetness which he enjoyed in contemplating in creatures, the wisdom, power, and goodness of the creator? Truly such thoughts often filled him with wondrous and unspeakable joy as he beheld the sun, or raised his eyes to the moon, or gazed on the stars in the firmament. O simple piety, O pious simplicity, even towards little worms he glowed with exceeding love. End quote. This sense of cosmic belonging is open to all creatures, large and small. No credit check or application necessary. This belonging is free infinitely available, and opens us to a wealth of meaning, relation, and love. In our current age, especially after or during the ongoing pandemic, and in face of global climate change and increasing inequality, the example of Francis is in need now more than ever. From a Franciscan perspective, a good place to start is to focus on the dignity, mystery, loyalty, and fun of the animals with whom many of us share our lives. That's the first step to expanding our sense of belonging. From our animals, we learn so much. From trees, we learn just as much. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> well, thank the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting rap. I, you know, what struck me was this, what you actually were kind of underscoring, this sense of belonging. And then I was thinking, I spend a lot of time trooping around in the woods. Um, Both of you do, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, th I think so, yeah. And then, you know, I 
go out there with my dog. So my dog, you know, that is the whole aspect of um, belonging that's interesting. But, you know, I have to tell you, in all honesty, that when I'm walking in the woods, that language of belonging, of I'm not sure what belonging means, to be in longing, to long to be, <laughs> I, I kind of have to really think about that part. But I know that, it, you know, I know it's ascribed meaning, which is one of connection, of belonging is like you own something, something that belongs to you, but then does nature uh, uh, belong to us or do we belong to nature? But that sense of that word in connection to what I guess sometimes arises being in the woods, which is a kind of sense of indistinction or completion in a way. It's sort of different mm. from belonging there's no there's a sense of the non-separate mm -hmm. but you know maybe i'm kind of imagining it i mean even the great sparrow when he's ah. with his trees he's talking to them you know as though they were outside of him and there was a you know possibility of communication mm. but anyway that, that's what just struck me I, and interestingly yeah I mean, when I think of belonging, I think of a family, that you belong to a family. And that, that's kind of the metaphor that I'm seeing Andrew using, that these other creatures are, as, as um, St. Francis said, brothers and sisters. So you can communicate with your brothers and sisters. You belong to the, this family. You belong to this unit. So I, I guess I feel that I belong to the same fraternity as the trees that I speak to. Sparrow, you've mentioned this before, but will you um, go there again? When you commun communicate with trees, how, how does that work exactly? Is, is it more of um, affect? Is it feeling? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's rarely in words. There's is occasions where I hear words in my mind, but of course I don't know for sure that they're coming from the tree. And in fact, because of the nature of the physical world, just because you're standing next to one tree doesn't mean necessarily that that's the tree that's talking to you or seems to be talking to you. I don't even know what I'm talking to. Maybe I'm talking to something else, to God or angels, other beings. But it's, it's a feeling I get, although I think today it was that I was standing in front of this new tree that I just started kind of, talking to and the tree said to me very clearly usa usa you know how those uh, republicans chant that and yes. then i thought maybe the tree means usa a-s-a-y usa meaning a say doesn't that mean to like weigh or ponder something to decide um on the value of something uh -huh. so i was kind of thinking about saint francis isa St. Francis. I say, in particular, this um, song that we're discussing. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, Francis of Assisi. 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 That's what the Assisians uh, chant. Yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite poems featuring conversation with trees. I don't think uh, we've talked about this poem in the podcast. But um, 
perhaps we have we tend to cover old ground without realizing it. But it's the poem Some Trees by John Ashbery. Oh, you know, I think we have actually touched <laughs> on that poem when we were talking about your poem that you wrote of an abandoned treehouse or an abandoned fort someplace mm. in Tivoli Bays. It was a poem mm. that you wrote, oh, yeah. I believe that was included in your collection, Mysterium. Yeah, wow. you, can, can I read the John Ashbery poem again? It's very short. And it's, it's fine with uh, me. Sure. I not, does it have a Franciscan flair? I think it does. <laughs> I think Let's it does. hear it. So some trees by John Ashbury, which he wrote as an undergraduate. These are amazing. Each joining a neighbor as though speech were a still performance. Arranging by chance to meet as far this morning from the world as agreeing with it. You and I are suddenly what the trees try to tell us we are. That their merely being there means something. That soon we may touch, love, explain. And glad not to have invented such comeliness, we are surrounded. A silence already filled with noises, a canvas on which emerges, a chorus of smiles, a winter morning. Placed in a puzzling light and moving, our days put on such reticence. These accents seem their own defense. Beautiful short poem that I do think has a Franciscan flair. Mm -hmm. Encounter with these trees that communicate something, something yeah. gnosis, some feeling. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I, I personally, and I think I may have touched on this before, I mean, the trees are the real inhabitants, certainly of where I live in this little pocket of them. But, you know, most of them are senior to me or no, no small number are older than I am. But then also, you know, for example, many of them are conifers, you know, which are 220 to 240 million years old, you know, mm. like they've really been around. Yeah. So, you know, we really belong to the trees. You know, that would be, you know, my sense of even that, uh, you know, that perverted sense of belonging, which, by the way, belonging is a combination of, of be, as in to um, persist, but then also with longen, to go. So it's sort of like to be along, to be, to go with mm. is the um, longian, longian, longian is the old English word pertaining to, to go along with. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, that, that capitalist sense of ownership is not, in the etymology, as far as we can tell, no, yeah, and the and the word longing, um, you know, is derived from to you know the the word too long, you know, also from the old English, uh, you know, which means to to lengthen, to be in a state of length is to be in a state of longing. Too long means that that something is is growing more distant, which is kind of weird. Um, longian, to yearn after, to grieve for, and then literally to grow long, to lengthen. Mm. It's, it's interesting. Like, it, it reminds me, people say, why the long face? Used to be, you know. 
long uh-huh. face would be uh, indicate sadness, uh, despondency. Well, I have a long face because I'm longing for right. my girlfriend, for riches, for whatever it is we long for, God. Right, <laughs> and, that, and that consciousness of distance, which mm. it seems to me St. Francis in his work was seeking to close, not <laughs> to close, to close yes. that distance. To shorten yeah, the to distance. Get, yeah, if not annihilate it. Hmm. Have you, either of you ever been to Assisi? No. I was thinking of that because I was thinking about the geography of the place. And like, for example, I went to the, uh, what is it called? The Sea of Galilee (laughs) when I was in Israel. And uh, some friend of mine who was a Jewish Sufi who ran a bookstore, he said, go to this monastery have i told this story already i don't think you have actually amazingly i know this is my one remaining story (laughs) he said go to this monastery it's on a hill above the sea of galilee and it's a great place so i went there but i'm always procrastinating i have to meditate every day i have all these things to do practices so i got to the gate of the monastery exactly as it was closing So then my wife, my daughter, who was one, and I all sat under some grapefruit trees and looked down at the Sea of Galilee, which is very small, really. We would call it a lake. And and it felt like some really, I mean, I don't like Jesus, but it felt like some extremely advanced being had been there about two weeks before. You could feel the energy coming out of the place. and. You look at this sea, and you know that if you go down to the sea, you put down a fishing line, a fish is going to come up, and you're going to be able to live. You're going to be able to eat with no real labor. You just put the hook down, and the fish eats, you know, comes into your boat. And then you, I thought about, well, this is where the Beatitudes, you know, consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin, yet... Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed as such as these. This is where the Beatitudes were spoken. And it, the place it mirrors that kind of abundance. You see what I'm saying? And I was thinking, yeah, I bet where, where Assisi is has a similar kind of feeling of uh, plenitude, of harvest, of lots of lush fields, a feeling that the feeling you get a little bit. Maybe there's a geographical feeling in this uh, song of Assisi that we're talking uh, about. You know, fascinating description, Sparrow. Um, Assisi mm. has been referred to as a vortex center, um, mm. which means it's a place, a geographical place, where a great deal of uh, energy exudes. And there are pilgrims from all around the world who travel there. And um, I personally have had, well, I've been there maybe about a half dozen times. And I've, I've had a lot of powerful experiences there of hmm. deep, deep longing. I've felt the gap closed between what I longed for, what I had. I, I've explored the mountains, the countryside. Hmm. It's, a, it's special um, in my spiritual cartography. Plus, you were married there. Did you discuss that last week? Yeah. I, I, no, I don't think we talked about there. it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Certainly, marriage is suggests that which Francis is pointing toward, 
like a mm-hmm. kind of union in a kind of Blake sense, maybe, well, you know, the marriage of heaven and hell. It's interesting because uh, several years before I was married, maybe about um, nine years or so, eight or nine years, I was uh, in a CEC uh, by myself. And um, I had uh, it, one of my few, it hasn't happened all that often, but I, I, I had uh, an experience that had a mystical quality quality to it. And um, I felt that what started there uh, on that trip um, led me to Elisa, my wife. Mm -hmm. Um, And she felt similar. She had her own separate experience there that led to me. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. We decided to to get married there. It made a lot of sense. And it really was a, a beautiful experience was a wonderful wonderful wedding um, and some uh, wizened old uh, catholic priest married you in italian that's right and <laughs> uh, we had uh, a great party afterward and you know maybe about 30 friends and family came it was pretty small we invited strangers off the street which was really nice various people we encountered that day we extended invitations to <laughs> and it was just a very special experience. Mm. Right on. Wow. Mm. So, you guys, should we talk about the Canticle of the Sun? I think we should read it, right, first, before describing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm all game for that. Sure. Canticle of the Sun. Altesimu omnipotente bon oh. signore. Most high, all-powerful, good Lord, yours are the praises, the glory, the honor, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong, and no man is worthy to mention your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son who brings the day, and you give light through him, and he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Praised be you, praised be you, my Lord, praised be you, praised be you, through sister moon and the stars in heaven, you formed them clear and precious and beautiful. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Through brother wind and through the air cloudy and serene. And every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Through sister water, which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother fire. Praised be you. Praised be you. Through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Through sister mother earth, who sustains us and governs us, and who produces varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you through those who give pardon for your love and bear 
infirmity and tribulation. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Blessed are those who endure in peace. For by you, most high, they shall be crowned. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Through our sister, bodily death, for whom no living man can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Blessed are those who will find your most holy will for the second death, so do them no harm. Praise and bless my Lord. Praise be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you, and give him thanks, and serve him with great humility. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Laudata et benedictecete me, Signore, e ringratiate e seruitele cum grande humiliatate. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. You're like an ecclesiastical Chico Marx. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Well, Canticle of the Sun. Canticle, by the way, means little song. Like it's yeah. just abundantly clear why um, the current pope took Francis as his papal name because of his kind of ecological timbre. Yeah, because of the ecological timbre, absolutely. Because of the environmental consciousness expressed uh, in the writings of Francis, which may be without any sort of precedent. Uh huh. You're talking about the current pope being named after, who is the first pope named after Francis, which is interesting. Yeah, that's right. He wrote his um, his first major encyclical, Laudato, Laudato Si, maybe in 2013 or so, 2014, on hmm. the environment. And in that um, encyclical, he, he draws from um, some Franciscan writings, um, including this one. Uh-huh. Huh. I'm interested in this poem from one angle, which is one of my criteria for assessing a poem, is whether it includes all the elements. And in a way, <laughs> this is a textbook-like poem that you know mm-hmm. includes fire uh, in numerous faces, you know. And then air, brother, wind, water, sister, water, brother, fire, uh, sister, mother, earth. Super interesting in terms of the use or the, uh, uh, the absence of, if I may say, father. Yeah, I've been no thinking all about that. Father. From no a deeply, father. from a, uh, what's the word, uh, Freudian viewpoint. He's living in a family with a mother who's also a sister, which uh-huh. uh, let's think about that for a moment, and well, other sisters and brothers, but no father. Yeah, a lord, a lord is literally some some sort of uh, nobleman that lives up the hill and kind of runs your life, uh-huh. but no father. Yeah, I mean, to, to some extent, so you have those four elements, and then there's the element of space. You know, which is somewhat analogous, I think, to the idea of the Greek ether, say, you know, blah, blah, blah. And in a way, (laughs) so where do we locate space? I mean, I think you have to locate it in 
no man is worthy to mention your name. I think you mm. have to locate space in the tetragrammaton. Um, you know, Yohi Veha, the, you know, YWVH, you know, the unpronounceable, the, the sense of the void, you know, the divine is, is visible or invisible, um, from our perspective as a void or as an absence, right? And I think maybe also perhaps in heaven, in this line, praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon and the stars. In heaven you formed them, clear and precious and beautiful. I think heaven, in this sense, may incorporate your concept of space. Because heaven is not purely physical space. It's kind of a metaphysical space. I don't know exactly what heaven is. The yeah, heavens are that. I'm totally with you on that. And I think that's a super-duper in insight into the nature of heaven, that it is from our stance or view or, you know, the limitations of our, uh, what, you know, the edge of what we can be is, um, is a void, is, is not, is a non-presence presence. Some kind of, some kind of spiritual, uh, meaning, I think, for someone like St. Francis. It's not, it's, you know, it's maybe a void in a Buddhist Zen sense, which is also pregnant with with truth and reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did want to do one thing, and that is circle back very briefly, Sparrow, to, um, to without the Joy Harjo poem. Because one thing that we didn't <laughs> get a chance to say last time is that at the end, there's this sense of kind of being in the trees and, you know, watching the mm -hmm. hyenas. That yeah. kind of sense of heaven that, you know, that, that, that there is a kind of post-mortem gloss to the poem. But then, you know, you're in heaven and you're watching the hyenas drinking rainwater and mm. then you're laughing. It's very similar, Sparrow, to your understanding of Judeo-Christian heaven that, you know, what do you do in heaven? Well, you know, you look down and watch the funny gambles of human beings, you know, the pratfalls and, you know, so I thought the that... I thought you were going to say the medieval concept that what is the pleasure of the he of the angels in heaven looking down and watching the sufferings in hell, like a kind of like the world we live in today where people watch TV to uh, schadenfreude purposes, you know, to watch right. reality TV, watch Donald Trump fire some poor loser. Yeah, that's kind of like the world we live in is today is kind of that uh, medieval heaven. <laughs> I like the, uh, the what you all were saying about gender in the poem and the, the absence of the uh, the father. There's this um, pronounced feminine quality to the poem. And it mm. makes me realize that as a Catholic, I think uh, St. Francis has always appealed to me because, oh, my goodness, uh, all of the other saints. I mean, so many. It's, it's just a male-dominated um, pantheon. I think, so. I mean, there's Mary, of course, but I mean, compared to Hinduism, for example, oh. or even Buddhism, um, the masculine dominates Catholic And history. isn't it interesting in this poem yeah. that there's no trinity? Jesus is missing, and Mary is missing. Mary not is not a member of the trinity, but uh, the uh, Holy Ghost the uh, whatever it's called, the Holy Spirit is also missing. 
This is, uh, you know, a pretty unusual poem for 12th century. Is that right? 12th century uh, uh, Christianity. Yeah, in the, this was written in the uh, most likely um, in the second decade of the 13th century um, in 1224. Most oh, okay. Uh, shortly before Francis died. Mm. But Francis didn't write it down. No, he dictated it. He had a right. mind by the end of his life. Right. Like, you know, Socrates, he didn't write. Hmm. Uh, Jesus Christ, he didn't write. Hmm. Um, you know, like many of the... Buddha. Yeah, Buddha didn't write. A lot of the Satgurus, they don't, they don't write. They are, you know. Mohammed, uh, peace be upon him, right? I don't think he wrote extensively, right? Oh really? So somebody else oh, wrote down trans- whole I thought business? he transcribed the um, sayings of the of you know wherever he went off to from the um, the mount or he was someplace in Jerusalem, wasn't he? When he left this earth and rose to heaven and oh, the Hydra when he yeah. the nighttime journey to Jerusalem, right? Hmm. Or yeah. did he die in Mecca? It's kind of what I would assume, but I'm not sure. I mean, for me, it's a highly heretical text. Mm-hmm, from yeah. Catholic orthodoxy, this is highly heretical um, to the extent that it seems to point toward the possibility of a native, of a seeker, of a man or a woman, to have direct intercourse with God through these elements. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. And I it, you know, I, I wish I could say more about this. study it when I was in divinity school, but my memory um, is hazy. But the, the, there was a, a group after Francis died, I, I believe they were active um, in the century after his death, that was declared heretical. And it was a problem in the Catholic Church, and they're referred to as the, the spiritual Franciscans. Hmm. And uh, they they believe that Francis was um, the second coming. Oh yeah, I never heard that. That that Francis was um, was on par with uh, with Jesus in terms of spiritual capacity, level of incarnation, all of that. And this was a heretical movement that was wiped out of existence through through violence because it was so heterodox in its own. And Francis was the first person ever to have the stigmata. I've read that somewhere. In other words, to have the uh, the marks on his hands, I think in his palms, of blood from the cross. You don't know. You never heard that. Uh, oh, no, definitely. Maybe? Yeah. You know, um, who also was stigmatized was um, the Southern Italian saint from the 20th century, Padre Pio. Right, yeah, I know about that, yeah. And in recent years, maybe about 15 years ago, his body was exhumed and examined again. For what? For the stigmata. To see if it was a myth or something? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if it was to, just... To, what's the word, bizarre. apotheosize him? To make him a, a saint? Or? And he was already a saint. Ah, well, he sure was on the fast track. They found, um, yeah, they found, um, yeah, there weren't holes in his hands, but more on like, um, pussy sores, Uh sores that were once pussy, full of pus. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I thought one of the rationales for exhumation 
was a form of confirmation of the sanctity of that being because the the flesh remains un, uncorrupt. Yeah. So you open open the thing and then a kind of uh, nice smell is there and the flesh remains um, uncorrupt. I don't know. What, what do you say? Remains? I think that's the word. I think that's the right word. Uncorrupt. Uncorrupted. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but I don't think that's one of the uh, what's the word criteria no, of being, sainthood. I, mean, I think saints are just you just have to produce miracles after your death and live a blameless life. That's what I thought. I'm, I'm just looking at an, an article here from 2008 published in the Guardian about the exhumed body of Padre Pio, and um, 10,000 worshippers gathered at the shrine of the Roman Catholic saint and mystic Padre Pio. As his exhumed body went on display for the first time since his death almost 40 years ago. And there are several eyewitnesses here who commented on the extent to which his, his face had not decomposed at all. Hmm. Ah. There you go, Sam. He was stigmatized in 1910. Stigmatized? Oh, he was stigmatized. Oh, is that the word? He received he the stigmata. He received the stigmata. Ah, interesting. Yeah, it's a funny um, word. One of the dominant verbs, I guess, in this poem is this praised, praised, be praised, my Lord, praised be you. Mm, um, this yeah, repetition of, of praise, this in, incremental repetition, um, pow, pow, pow. You know, it's all based on this idea of praise. And I got to ask you, Andrew, from a theological standpoint, and particularly from the Roman Catholic perspective, what does it mean to praise? Like, what is praise? I mean, mm. it seems, it strikes me that Francis is reaching towards something that's more than, hey, great job on your homework. <laughs> you know, like there's some other level of praise mm. that seems to me part of a part of a poetic or a poetics, you know, poetic mm. universe. I, I know that the the liturgical form is, is a um, doxology, and that that what, would be what does a, that mean? A doxology would be a poem. Some, you know, there's an example of it in um, Jewish literature, the, the Kaddish, the mourner's Kaddish, where mm. um, the attributes, the divine attributes, the majesty, mm. the power of um, the Creator are extolled or celebrated, um, mm -hmm. usually in a list form. In speech. That's correct. It's a prayer um, meant to be recited. Praise be this. Praise be that. Praise be this other thing. Hmm. Um, that's a doxology. But it's interesting. It's it's evoking praised be. And then, so the praise is, is the calling for praise, which then follows through these phrases, you know, through Sister Moon, in other words, to praise be praised be you, my Lord, through Sister Moon, mm -hmm. through Brother Wind, through Sister Water. You know, it's through these different elements that the praise is conveyed. Mm -hmm. I don't think um, it's. I don't think that's how the praise is conveyed. I'm not sure. It seems to me more like that God expresses. God's you know, being through these different, uh, you know, emanations 
But it, well, you know, I think praise be you, I literally comes from Hebrew. We're like the, pretty much the, what do you call it? The, uh, the formula for prayer begins usually Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Praise be thou, O Lord, uh, ruler of the universe, how it's usually uh, translated. And it's a very interesting, it's it's almost like you're blessing God. I don't think it's like literally saying, let's everyone praise him. I think it's more saying that the baruch, the, the, the bracha, the, the blessing, bracha means blessing, comes from the same word as baruch, which we're translating as praise be. It is it's like a it's the an action this praising is some kind of a, like a magic um action that you're creating that is sanctifying the world or something like that praise be you my lord praised be you praised be you uh-huh i, I guess i hear what you're saying definitely and it's all part of a sort of family of crazy things. I, I guess, I mean, I mean, I'm sort of saying, okay, then if it's not being praising through, I guess, does that mean that Sister Mother Earth, that the existence of Sister Mother Earth, of Brother Fire, of Sister Water, is the praise? Mm. Is the praise. But then those are all acts of god the these different elements are aspects of the face of creation which god manifested and then the praise is is happening through the recognition of the existence of mother earth of brother fire of sister water that just acknowledging those different elements is itself an act of praise? Yeah, I think it's a very good question that you're asking. I, I didn't really notice it, that, you know, it would, of course it would be helpful if we knew medieval Italian and could, could really look at the original and see, you know, if they used the right word when they said through. I've got the Italian here, and it is. It's, per, you know, laudato si, si mi signora, my father, praise be you, my lord, Per sora nostra madre terra, you know, mm. per sora through our sister mother earth. Per, right. you know, and that's the word. Per is through. That means in uh, medieval Latin. I think in contemporary. I think per p e r is through mm. by means of. So I think maybe it means something like sister mother earth is praising God all the time. I guess that's how I'm interpreting it. Yeah, that's like difficult. Through the action I, of the Mother Earth, God is being praised, something like that. Yeah, but it's a sort of circularity, isn't it? In other mm. words, if God has set the wind, yeah, yeah, set the wind up, brother air, brother wind, air, then that 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 wind, that air that he's set into motion is also, you know, like a feedback to the creator and the manifestation of praise. So there's this kind of circularity to it. Yeah, God, it's like creating a puppet, and then the puppet turns to you and says, you are a genius, something like that. Like God creates the wind, and the wind blesses or worships God. And I yeah. think 
you know, in a traditional theological uh, <laughs> monotheist sense, the, all those beings like fire and wind and water, they have no choice but to praise God. But humans, we have an existential choice. We can praise God or we can damn God. And that's where the prayer changes. That's where the song changes. Blessed are those who endure in peace, for by you, most high, they shall be crowned. And uh -huh. woe to those who die in mortal sin. So, in other words, um, there's two types of people. There's only one kind of wind. There aren't rebellious winds that tell God, look, I'd rather worship Satan. There's only one kind of wind, but there's two kinds of people. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that part obviously is uh, is super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it says in the beginning, be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures. Mm -hmm. Through all your creatures. And then it goes, especially through my Lord, brother, son. So he's also, um, and the le tui creatore, you know, through all your creatures. So he is mm -hmm. making a clear sense that the sun and I guess the moon and then, and then these are all creatures or creations, but mm -hmm. we ourselves are creations of the God, of uh, the, the maker, the Lord, mi signore. And, and I guess... I mean, does that mean that even if one deviates from God, that one is still um, an avenue of praise for God? Hmm. Through all your creatures. In other words, even the condemned creatures. He says all your creatures. He doesn't say all your obedient creatures. So even right. condemned pool playing reprobates are still, in a sense, a um, sort of... A tribute, you could say, to God. They're 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 part of the greatness of God, even though they don't recognize it. Yeah, I guess that I guess that could be theologically uh, consistent with with this poem. It seems like you're right. I think it is. I mean, all your creatures a little vague, but I think that I think you might be right. The, I mean, the thing, I must say, I was disappointed in the song that it doesn't have any animals or yeah. uh, trees in it. Uh, that that was, uh, you know, I guess I pictured uh, St. Francis even more of a kind of neo-pagan than he is in this poem. And I was struck by the, the first uh, few days of creation in Genesis, are seems to be a lot of what he's talking about, where he's talking about the moon and the stars and mm -hmm. the light. Uh, that what does he say? Yeah, the fire uh, through brother fire through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful. So and he is beautiful is almost like how at the end of every day God says, and it was good. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. And I guess, you know, that praise is a speech act. And so it's poetic in that sense, you know, that poesis, you know, has at least some part to do with words. No, Daute C, right? You mentioned, there it is. That's the title of the Pope Francis encyclical. Oh, well, is what? I'm a laudatis, 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 
Yes, that. that in other words, praise. Be praise. praise. Yeah. yeah. Right. To laud in English means to praise. Yeah, I was going to say also that I associate this pope, and I love this pope. Um, I think partially he took the name Francis because of kind of a love of the poor, which I associate as a Franciscan value. And uh, this pope, my understanding about him, when he was in Argentina, there was the, uh, what did you call those socially conscious priests that had a kind of a social gospel? The Jesuits? Uh, the Jesuits? No, no, not the Jesuits. The Liberation Theology, maybe? Is what oh, Liberation Theologians, yeah. Liberation yeah. Theology. So he was, he had a job as bishop to kind of hold down, keep down the liberation theology to, you know, to sort of gently push back on it from the uh, central church. But he was also influenced by it. And I think he may be, to my mind, he might be the most kind of progressive, politically progressive um, priest who ever became pope, possibly. And, and to me, that's part of what Francis is about, the common people, the love of uh, of the poor when he when he was um a bishop and later cardinal of Buenos Aires he uh lived in uh the slums he he um lived simply uh, in, among the poor and he took um, the bus i remember reading that yeah he, he rode on public transportation mhm good man i mean so looking at the poem i just wanted to kind of focus on death those last mm. three stanzas and sort of, and then it's praised be you, my Lord, through your sister bodily death. You know, it's interesting that that's a female incarnation. Mm. Um, I was going to yeah. say that there are, there are more sisters than brothers yeah. in this poem. Mm. Right? Sister water, sister moon, sister mother earth, and then sister death. Sister death, I was thinking really sounds like a Rolling Stones song. Oh, uh, yeah. Sister Death. It's corporale, uh, bodily death. So there's another kind of death. I mean, there's mm. the death, you know, as they say, you know, that one must die to this, lo this life in order to be reborn into the next. Yeah, I guess uh, when he says here, right, for the second death, uh, when he says, blessed are those who will find your most holy will for the second death shall do them no harm. I guess that I guess you're right, Sam, that second death is the first death is you kind of die to, uh, I don't know, what Buddhists would call attachment, maybe. And uh -huh. the second I death is you die, your physical body dies. And uh, that's not going to harm you because you're already sort of living in God. I don't oh, know. I thought. Um, the I, oh, yeah, death. I'm a little confused. I thought the first death was this bodily death. Yes. Yeah. And the second death is, I think it occurred, doesn't it occur um, at judgment? Oh, in judgment day. Yeah, that right. uh, predicted. But isn't by that John. the second life? <laughs> well, it could go either way. Um, those who die in mortal sin will not be invited to heaven. I think that's a death of sorts. Uh-huh. So it's something that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really go into what is mortal sin, you know, and it's difficult to tease out maybe from this canticle. But he does add this new, I think, kind of 
twist at the end there. Blessed are those who will find your most holy will. Now, is that divine will manifest through these sisterly and brotherly elements Hmm. and through our communion with those avenues of God's praise? I mean, traditionally, I would say the Holy Will comes through the Holy Spirit. That's, I mean, maybe I'm basing this on just these uh, Christians, you know, fanatical Christians I hung out with at the Women's March, the first Women's March in D.C., but they would just sort of like constantly consult the the Divine Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and it seemed to tell them what to do. And I think Uh for, for Francis, the Holy Spirit does come these natural elements, mm. the wind, fire, earth, water, and animals, and vegetation. That really uh, was his church. It's, what's interesting to me about that canticle of the sun uh, are the ways that it's um, rather heterodox, to use the term introduced by Sam earlier, um, but he, it also exists within orthodoxy. Like You can see him trying to Mary's vision to Catholic orthodoxy, but there's tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was one thought I had, is that, that Francis represents kind of the first uh, proto-Reformation, that eventually the, these kind of misgivings that he has about conventional worship and and the church as an institution will manifest in Martin Luther or whoever started the, the Protestant Reformation. I think it's Yeah, that definitely is what occurred to me, yeah. Keep in mind that when um, Francis was being called by God um, long before the Franciscan order was established, of course, he was in a um, sitting in a outside, or maybe he was inside, um, a church in Umbria that was in disrepair, and he heard God's voice. And what did God's voice say? God's voice said, Francis, repair my church. Mm-hmm. And at uh-huh. first, he took it literally. He said, okay, well, let me um, sell some of my father's cloth so I can physically repair this one church. But mm. then realized it was a much larger um, imperative to to repair mm. the entirety of the church. Mm. Very and interesting. That, that's, that's why I think he had had this um, rather complicated place. Certainly this in um, late self, early Catholicism, into this day. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Andrew, do you think that Pope Francis, he feels a similar calling? Did, did mm. the Catholic Church, prior to his, annunci- uh, his calling, uh, that he felt that the Church was in need of some repairs? Yeah, um, I definitely think so. And there's a movie that came out, I think, two years ago, all about that. Um, though I don't think St. Francis, Francis of Assisi um, comes up all that often in it. But it was called The Two Popes. Oh, and yeah. It's, it's about um, the the struggles of the previous pope, Benedict XVI, with um, all of the financial corruption surrounding the Vatican Bank. And just the extent of the child abuse scandals in the church that it was really falling apart. It was losing 
losing a lot of uh, membership. And uh, mm. Francis did see himself as a reformer, someone who was there to try to repair at least some of that. Mm. And I think has, but his critics would say he hasn't gone far enough. Um, right. He seemed yeah. to sort of recede. There was a point where he was saying these really crazy things every few weeks, like uh, atheists can go to heaven, things like that. Uh, homosexuals are perfectly okay. I forget what they were, but they were things like that. And then he seemed to kind of drop off from the iconoclasm. Yeah, it seemed that way. Maybe the curia got the better of him, the, um, you know, mm. the presiding uh, cardinals who have the most clout in the Vatican tend to have a lot of power. Yeah. He's also suffered from um, health issues. I mean, he's not a young man. He's closer to 90 than 85. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just saw him the other day on Twitter uh, receiving uh, Nancy Pelosi. As, uh, he's giving her all sorts of gifts and smiling, his shy smile. He's a pretty tall guy. And... Uh, and she is, you know, seems to be a real Catholic. She's out of her mind with excitement uh, that she's getting to meet the real Pope. It said on Twitter that the Pope refused to meet Mike Pompeo, the Trump Secretary of State. So he's kind of honoring uh, Pelosi. You know, it's very sweet, actually. The I looked up the Latin or the Umbrian or the original transcription of St. Francis and the word that he uses for will, which is uoluntati. And I put it into Google and <laughs> it said, do you mean lunati? And then there's a second choice. Do you mean illuminati? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. But um, this uh, this this um, form of will, I, I can't near term sort of locate it. Hmm. Um, there seems to be a Latin cognate, but I just don't I don't want to start scrambling around on hmm. the glass mountain of the Internet to try to try to land it. Just curious about this idea of your most holy will. Oh, I see. Right. You're still thinking about that. You know, well, I mean, I want to get this right. My life depends upon it. It's a good point, yeah. particularly if this is true. I guess I yeah. kind of just assume it's some archaic philosophy that I don't have to worry about. On a sort of other note, um, and we can come back to the will, um, Sam, something that's interesting that's about Francis is that he was not a empowering figure um, continue, continuously from the late 12th century to present. There, there was a long period of time when, um, just like the poems of Emily Dickinson or the poems of any great canonical poet, or many mm. at least, uh, you know, there was a period where um, he wasn't this major figure. And it really was the, the modern period, I would say, uh, the Romantic movement, oh, American transcendentalism, um, mm. you know, moving into the 20th century, the environmental movement of the 1970s. And hippies um, in general. I mean, he's sort yeah, of a, like right. a true hippie. He's a guy who comes from a rich family, gives it all up, takes all his clothes off, right? Isn't that the famous story that he just like disrobes entirely because he doesn't yeah, want to be, you know, wear bourgeois clothes? 
He gives his clothing back to his father, and that was symbolic. His father, once again, was a wealthy cloth merchant, and he's naked, and he um, his nakedness is covered, I think, by the cloak of bishop. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. And there's um, no father, right, in this poem, because his guy has problems with his father. He just has father issues. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that his biography suggests that. Um, yeah, anyway, finish what you were saying, Andrew, sorry. No, I, I just, I was, you know, it's just an echo of what you um, just said, Sparrow. Um, I had a uh, professor in divinity school who jokingly referred to Francis as the first hippie. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, uh, at some moment. I don't think it was in a lecture. It was more informal. But um, it makes sense that he would be a, a saint that would be elevated um, given recent events in history. And by recent, I'm referring to the last 150 to 200 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that his, I mean, and that and, his whatever his cult would rise and fall based on how people feel about uh, taking all your clothes off and you know, breaking with tradition and living the simple life, living with nature. Simone Weil, yeah. the French mm. mystic and political activist, was um, critical in some ways of Francis. She said, "Oh, you know, it's to be like to live a life of, of renunciation." And like the urban slums is one thing. To live it in Umbria, <laughs> not so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Here's he's, he's this rich kid. And then, you know, he uh, has uh, that kind of entitlement feeling, you know, like everything's cool. I have no problems. And then he becomes uh, a saint with, a you know, living in this gorgeous countryside and similarly, writing these poems about how everything's cool, everything, everything is uh, delightful, the whole world is in harmony. Well, yeah, you know, uh, Charles Dickens, who's uh, living in an orphanage and toiling at some factory at the age of eight, that's not his experience. You know? That's not the poem he writes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and, and in fact, in line with that analysis, you know, I wanted to turn our attention briefly to this um, stanza, Praised be you, my Lord. And then, through those who give pardon for your love. Did you see that? Do you see yeah, that? Yeah, I noticed that. That is who a give very pardon interestingly for your love. So, so he set it up as this, this um, creature, you know, is parallel to the earth, to fire, water, wind. You know, those who give pardon for your love and bear infirmity and tribulation is the translation we have. Um, Jeepers, I'm not sure I understand that. Who give pardon for your love. What does that mean? Who excuse the fact that I was born with leprosy and haven't eaten (laughs) for a couple months and, you know, vomiting blood? I mean, I don't understand. (laughs) Forgive pardon. I guess I felt that somehow there, uh, in the same way that Jesus died on the cross and relieved humanity of its sins, somehow those who bear infirmity and tribulation are are kind of buying for, they're sort of sacrificial victims who are uh, make, making us all somehow 
suffering for all of us. I, but I'm not sure that that's grammatically what this line is saying, but that's sort of how I took it. Mm-hmm. Give pardon for your love. Bang. Yeah, I mean, that is pardon is uh, perdonan... No. Perdonan... No. Um, per lo tuo amore. Is it about forgive, giving forgiveness? Blessed forgive. are those who forgive. Uh, it's a beatitude. Uh-huh. And also, blessed be those who bear infirmity and tribulation. Um, I think these are reformulations of the beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Right, that if you if you know the Beatitudes well, as his audience would, they can understand that he's sort of combining two of the Beatitudes or something like that. I don't know, dudes. I mean, are you saying who forgive God for his love? Pardon <laughs> for your love? I, no. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, those who give pardon for your love, I, it, those who forgive out of your love. I read it as oh, out Oh, yeah, of- yeah. I think you're right. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Oh. Those who render forgiveness, who supply forgiveness out of the love of God. And then let's say you have some complete asshole. You're driving your car. He sort of steers into you. The two of you get out of your car. You're screaming at each other. And then suddenly you remember, wait a second. What about God? What would God tell me to do? And then you forgive the guy. And he's like, you're getting back in your car, and he's like, ah, you're a wimpy little coward, aren't you? You're bearing infirmity and tribulation because you gave pardon, and uh, you should be blessed, praised. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. I lived this yesterday. I went to my... (laughs) In New York City. Yeah, quick story. I went to um, my in-laws, and uh, one of their neighbors... uh, younger guy um maybe about 35 or so was very rude to my to my wife Ooh. and um then um over whether we could go in because we didn't have a key but she grew up oh. there blah blah blah, blah. and mm. we told our uh, she, she my wife told her father who proceeded to come down and kick the guy's door down no kick way his door down well started kicking his door in just a, a mad rage you know, screaming, threatening to fight the guy. And my, my father-in-law is 72, um, <laughs> but he's tough. Mm, you know, he, he was imprisoned by Ceausescu's regime in Romania. Um, oh, he has yet to lose his um, Romanian machismo. But mm. uh, I had to sort of diffuse the situation later on because this guy was waiting for us as we left the building. <laughs> Um, Whoa. and, uh, it worked out okay. There were, the, the hands were extended. There was a handshake. The situation was diffused. There was forgiveness. There was an apology. <laughs> but I didn't know where it was going to go. <clears throat> but wow. there, there was something that transpired that's reminiscent of the stanza. What? Interesting. This is like Bensonhurst or something? R- Ridgewood Queen. Oh, mm. my God, Ridgewood Queens, where my daughter used to live. Mm. Where well, Bernadette grew up. That's run high. Oh, right. Ridgewood. Oh. Praised be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. And yeah, I want to yeah, say, we, uh, yeah. you know, this guy is writing in medieval Italian. This guy, St. Francis of Assisi, is writing almost 100 years before Dante. 
in the Italian dialect, which was really unusual, I think, I believe. It, at that I time. think it's considered to be the first poem in, a, in Italian, quote unquote. Well, yeah, because you hear that about Dante, but this is, so Dante's 1315, I think, and this is 1224. One of my lines about this prayer is I realize I'm sick of monotheism in English. I wouldn't mind hearing it in Italian. I wouldn't mind hearing someone yeah. sing it in Italian. But in English, I'm just, I just find monotheism boring. No offense. No, I'm not offended at all. I yeah. Praise be you, my Lord. Praised be you. Praised be you. Well, this is a pantheistic poem. It it's has pantheistic. Cloak. It has the cloak yeah. of a kind of monotheistic blah, blah, blah. But frankly, he's evoking these natural powers. Yeah, these uh, yeah. earth spirits. Yeah. He's going as far. It reminded me of the famous line, uh, Ezra Pound said he lived in Italy because it had never completely been Christianized. It oh. kind of reminds, that's what I thought of when I read this. It's like, are they, is this really Christian or is it just paganism pretending to be Christian? Hard to tell. Sam, it, there are also there are plenty of really beautiful musical adaptations of this canticle. Oh um, my online. God, what a fabulous idea. Cantico delle creature Altissimo onnipotente bon signore Tu esole laude, la gloria e l'onore, et onde benedizione. A te solo, Altissimo, se confane, e nullo uomo è ne digno tementovare. Laudate sie, mio Signore, con tutte le tue creature, specialmente messorlo frate sole, lo quale è giorno et allumini noi per lui, et ello è bello e radiante con grande splendore, de te altissimo porta significazione. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per sora luna e le stelle, in cielo l'hai formate clarite e preziose e belle. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per frate vento, e per aere e nubilo e sereno e tonne tempo, per lo quale alle tue creature dai sustentamento. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per soracqua, la quale è molto utile, e umile e preziosa e casta. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per frate fuoco, per lo quale nallumini la notte, ed ello è bello, e giocondo, e robustoso, e forte. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per sora nostra madre terra, la quale ne sustente e governa, e produce diversi frutti con coloriti fiori ed erba. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per quelli che perdonano per lo tuo amore e sostengo infirmitate e tribulazione. Beate quelli che lo sosterranno in pace, che da te altissimo saranno incoronati. Laudato sì, mi Signore, per sola nostra morte corporale, dalla quale null'uomo vivente può scappare. 
guai a quelli che morano nelle peccate mortali, beati quelli che troverà nelle tue santissime volontà che la morte seconda non la farà male. Laudate e benedicetemi, Signore, e ringraziate e serviateli con grande umiltà. Many thanks for joining us on this edition of Baffling Combustions and our ongoing investigation of the uncanny and wondrous. And please join us next time and remember to stay tuned and strange.